you've got a Bible with you today, I want to uh, encourage you to open it with us to John chapter 4. Uh, if you use something like a, a Bible app, you can open that app and go to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a really cool story today, but I want to jump all the way to the end of John 4 for a moment to get you thinking about these words from Jesus. And these are words that Jesus had for his disciples 2,000 years ago, and I believe they are words that he has for all of us today. In John chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus said to his disciples, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. And then this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You know, one of the challenges for me personally in wearing a mask is that I also wear glasses. And if you're in that same boat, you know the fun of watching your glasses fog up, you know, as you try and read, as you're trying to do different things. I have a hunch that everything that's going on in our lives right now, all of the changes, all of the uncertainty is bringing some fog to our eyes. All right, it's making it difficult to see, but I'm praying and believing that what God wants to say to each of us today is open your eyes, all right? I will help you open your eyes to be able to see. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would use this time right now to open our eyes so that we can see what you've given us, what you have for us, and what you're up to in our lives and in our world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are continuing in our series today called Knowing Jesus. We've been studying the life and ministry of Jesus this summer so that we can know him better and so that we can model our lives after him. Last week, we looked at the story that involved Jesus' cousin, a guy by the name of John the Baptist, and I want to pick up that story, uh, or at least from where we left off that story last week. Uh, the disciple John, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he records like this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And just to give you an idea of where this is taking place, uh, show you a map here. Jesus and his disciples were baptizing in a region likely north of the Dead Sea uh, in a region called Judea. All right. And John records that they had to go through Samaria back to Galilee. And this is where Jesus is going to spend a majority of his time and uh, teaching and, and time with his disciples and others. But in order to go from Judea to this region of Galilee, there was a land in between called Samaria. And again, John said they had to go through Samaria. And that makes sense, right? Because the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're going to make this trek, if you would, through Samaria, which was a little uncommon and uh, a little controversial, if you would, because a first, for a first century Jew, the thought of going through Samaria was appalling. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other and avoided one another at all costs. Now, why? Well, the Samaritans as a people group were the result of what happened when the Assyrians invaded Israel in 722 BC. And when the Assyrians attacked, they deported the men and then they 
sent in their own men to intermarry with the Jewish women there. And so the Samaritans from that point were called half-Jews. They were often referred to as half-breeds and a reminder of a dark time in Israel's history. There was incredible racial, cultural, and religious hatred for one another. And so keep that in mind as John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria because why does John say that? Well, the verb that John used here indicates an obedient response, all right, to a particular command. So Jesus isn't just acting on his own will, but he had to go through Samaria as an act of obedience to his father. And why would his father want him to walk through a despised land? So that the disciples, you and me and others might know that the good news of Jesus is for all people. All right, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. God created all of us. Uh, We all belong to him. And Jesus' actions make it clear that things like hatred and pride and racism have no place in the kingdom of God. And God forgive us if we've allowed any form of pride to take hold in our hearts. And if it has, we need to identify it. We need to repent of it. And we need to ask the Lord to root it out of us today because the good news of Jesus Christ is for all People. Now watch what happens as Jesus begins to enter with his disciples into Samaria. Pick it up in verse five. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And you can see this well today if you're able to go to Israel. Uh, They've built a convent around it since, Uh, but it's pretty cool to think about the fact that it's a 4,000 year old well dating back to the days of Jacob, but to also realize that Jesus was there. And the text says that Jesus is tired, and that's understandable because he just walked a significant distance in a dry desert climate, and he's thirsty too. And so he comes to this well, but he doesn't have anything to drink from, and so he sits down and watch what happens next. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then we get this footnote there that his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. It continues, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And so she recognizes the racial tension. She points out that not only are you a Jew, but you're a man. I'm a Samaritan and a woman. We're not supposed to talk like this. Again, why are you talking to me? And then she asks, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And so not only is Jesus talking to her, but he's also willing to drink from this very same cup. And what a picture. Again, Jesus is a Jew. This woman is a Samaritan. There's all of this tension and division between these two groups, but not today, not on this occasion. And Jesus demonstrates how real he is. He's so genuine. He's so compassionate and kind. And his willingness to engage her is going to open the door for a very important conversation. And friends, what an example to us and the way that we live, like especially as we encounter people who don't know Christ, Uh, Even as you encounter people all day long who are different than you, that you don't have things in common with, like what a reminder 
of how far we ought to be willing to go to demonstrate and model the love of Jesus for someone else. I was uh, online yesterday chatting with a representative from AT&T because our kids are gonna spend a little bit more time at home this school year than normal. We recognize we need to up the internet speed a little. And so I I was doing some chatting with the AT&T rep. It took about a half an hour or so to to get to the place where we're gonna get our, our internet upgraded, all right? But, but at the very end of the conversation, you know, is there anything else I can do for you? No, thank you very much. He wrote to me, he just said this, I, I want to thank you. You by far are the most polite and kind customer I've dealt with today. And I'll tell you at first, I thought I, was, I didn't know if I was just working with a computer or something, you know, the computers are that smart that they're just, you know, talking to me. But like, I was just like, I, it was a reminder. First of all, I'm not always that good. All right. I'm not that consistent in, in being kind like that. But again, that just every conversation Every interaction that we have is an opportunity to leave a lasting impression on someone else. Pick it up in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw from and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? I still think she's a little caught off guard by the fact that this man who's a Jew is in Samaria. They're talking, even the discussion of having, you know, getting something to drink. And, 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 but maybe now, maybe now she starts to think, okay, this is starting to make sense, all right? You, you're, you're clearly out of your mind. You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. You don't have anything like that. The irony is that they're in two different places mentally. All right, she's stuck on the physical reality, no rope, no bucket, this deep well. But Jesus has spiritual things in mind. Verse 13 says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, there are different interpretations uh, on on what Jesus is doing, their their dialogue and what's happening here. Like some speculate that she's confused, like wondering if Jesus is getting ready to make a sales pitch for like a Culligan home water drinking system or something like that that's going to make your life easier. But others think, others believe that she's tracking with Jesus now that this isn't just a conversation about physical water, but spiritual things. And she's got spiritual needs. The truth is we all have spiritual needs. And so maybe, maybe he knows something that she doesn't. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And so the picture begins to come into focus. And how does Jesus know these things about her? Well, I think God the Father had prepared him for this moment and for this encounter. But also we learn something about her from the way that she's acting, especially in that she's drawing water alone. Because in the first century, drawing water was a communal event. It's something that you did with others. All of the women of the town would go together and you didn't go in the middle of the day either. When it was too hot, you went in the morning or you went in the evening. 
unless you were an outcast. Like if you'd had five husbands and were now living with someone else, well, then in that case, you'd go alone at the hottest part of the day to draw water. And we don't know all of the details and all of the circumstances of this woman's story, but you know what? We don't need to. Five times married and now another relationship. It doesn't take an expert to figure out that her life has to be full of pain and hurt. And she's got questions and Jesus knows she's trying to make the most out of life. She's trying to meet her needs and all of these different things. And you know what? We do the same thing too. We're capable of the same things. We, we think we need a lot of things that we don't really need. Things like a busy schedule, a bigger house, a, a better car, a new relationship, uh, uh, more control. It's one of the reasons why I think this COVID season has been difficult for all of us. I think we've all had things taken from us. We've, we've all lost a sense of, of control and it's painful and it's, it's caused any of us to ask questions and to maybe consider, you know, or reconsider what we believe about anything. And, and many of you, many of us, we, we know the Lord. We're able to say we know the Lord. And so imagine those around you right now, the family and friends and neighbors and coworkers that you have, people that don't know the hope of Christ, people that don't have a relationship with, with Jesus. Like, can you imagine going through this season that we find ourselves in right now? Like, you'd have no choice but to reach, you know, for anything and everything to try and numb the pain and to fill the void. I, I sat down with a uh, a counselor, a pastor. Uh, it's been six or seven years ago now. I, uh, pastors need to do that once in a while. I had a pastor tell me one time, hey, you need to go to a counselor one and I, once in a while and make sure you're taking care of your heart. So, so I did that. I went I, thirsty, you could say. I, I went feeling empty. I had nothing to complain about, uh, but no joy at the same time. And I, I'll, I'll never forget this counselor pointing me to this story and specifically the example of Jesus as our living water. Because you know what? It's easy to call yourself a Christian. It's easy to go through the motions of it all. But if you're not daily investing in your relationship with the Lord, it's easy to get dry. And here's what Jesus wants this woman to see. And here's what I believe he wants all of us to see too. And that is that he is the only one that truly satisfies that Jesus Christ is the only one. Nothing satisfies like Jesus. An end to this pandemic will satisfy you for a moment and will run dry again because Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy us. Pick up in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship in Jerusalem. So the lady's like, okay, enough about my love life. Let's move on to other things. Let's talk about worship or something. And Jesus kind of goes with it in verse 21. He says to her, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. That's a, a mouthful actually to, to read all of that. But Jesus knows that this is one of the major points of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews believe that you had to worship God in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believe that you worship God at Mount Gerizim. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. It doesn't have anything to do with location. 
True worshipers will be marked not by where they worship, but by the fact that they worship in spirit and in truth. Basically, he says, it matters what, what matters most is what's going on in your mind. What matters most when it comes to your worship is what's going on in your heart. And it's important that when we worship, we remember who we worship. And that we are letting our worship influence the way we think about God, the way we view ourselves, and the way that we live. It reminds me of a passage in Romans chapter 12 where the apostle points out that we, as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he's accomplished for us, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. Basically, you know, Jesus, you want to know what worship is? It's offering all of your life. It's surrendering all of your life. Jesus is saying to this woman, it's not, it's not about where you worship. You know, it's about what's going on in your heart and in your mind. You're, you're focused on the outside. I'm concerned about what's on the inside. But she doesn't want to hear that. So in verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called to Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And now Jesus puts all the cards on the table. And in verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Drop the mic, game over. The woman says the Messiah will explain it. And Jesus is like, I just did. I am he. And what a powerful moment. And we don't get all the details of the conversation, but we do get the most important details for sure. I mean, it's our understanding in this moment that the woman now sees Jesus for who he really is. And as we're gonna see in a moment, her life is gonna be changed forever as a result of her encounter with Jesus. And do you know what? Ours should be too. Our lives, you know, there, there should be something distinct and noticeable in our lives as followers of Jesus in all things. I mean, just trusting Jesus involves a radical change on the inside. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But that radical change on the inside needs to come out of us and be reflected on the outside. Like Paul says in Romans 12, it means that we see all of life, every day, every pandemic. Lord, only one per lifetime, please, right? Just one pandemic per lifetime. But every encounter is an opportunity to serve God. We are living sacrifices, and we are to live our lives fully surrendered to Jesus in all things. It is true worship, and it pleases God. Now, before we close, what about the disciples? Because remember, they ran into town to get some food, all right? And now they're about to come back. And so what do they take away from this as well? Verse 27, it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Again, just highlighting the tension between the two groups. Again, Jesus had to go through to Samaria to save the woman. I would argue he went through Samaria also to save the disciples. 
Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And the people, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, what you will find as you read on, and you can check this out for yourself later on today, is that because of the woman's testimony, it says many Samaritans believed in Jesus. And how awesome is that? That God is gonna use this woman with an incredible reputation to reach others for Jesus Christ. But what I also want you to see is what Jesus did to bring this woman to the point where she now believes and is telling everyone else. Remember, Jesus came to the well tired and thirsty. And by the way, he never got the drink, right? I mean, as far as we can tell, he was never given a drink. At least the text doesn't say so. But notice that he used a very real need in his own life as a way of beginning a spiritual conversation with this woman. And somewhere in the middle of it all, it became less about Jesus' physical need and more about this woman's spiritual need. And I think that's important for us to see. There's something here for us too, because often when we think about sharing our faith in Christ with others, we think about meeting a person's physical need first, establishing a relationship with them, and then hopefully we'll get the opportunity to share our faith. And that's something that Jesus models for us over and over again. It's not wrong, but here it's reversed because Jesus begins with his own physical need and that opens the door in being able to provide for this woman's spiritual need. Here's what it comes down to. In America, in Indiana, in Hamilton County, we are so self-sufficient. We really are. Like you need a rope and a bucket, you go to Lowe's, you buy your own rope, you buy your own bucket. But what if we became intentional about even using the, own, the, the, the very needs that we have with the people around us to potentially open the door for spiritual conversations about Jesus Christ. And what Jesus models here for his disciples, what he models for this woman and for all of us is just once again, that God can reach others through you. He can. He wants to use you. The, the point is that there are people all around you in your life right now in your neighborhood, your apartment, where you live, the places that you work, the, the, the families, the, the people that are on your kids' team. God has put people in your life, whether you know them yet or not. And it's our role and responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with others. God, Jesus used a, a need in his life to start a spiritual conversation. This woman is gonna use the power of her redeemed story to reach others. How might God wanna use you? How might he want to use you to reach someone else? Like what, what needs does your friend have or your neighbor have? Like you've got people in your life right now. God wants to put people into your life so that you can share faith and hope with them. Who are they? Like who's the neighbor for you? You know, I got to believe some of you, you've got a neighbor that won't go any farther than their backyard right now. And until recently, they wouldn't even talk with you because they are just terrified. But maybe over the last few weeks, they've started coming closer to the fence and they're ready to talk. God can use you. He can use me. He can use our church to reach others. God wants to work through us to help people find their way back to God. One more thing before we close, before we wrap up, let's pick it up in verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples, they said to him, they looked at each other, could someone have brought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Again, the disciples are so distracted. Who gave him food? Is he hungry? I thought he was hungry. I thought that's why we went to town. Their circumstances, even their own weariness, their physical needs had caused them to get so distracted to lose focus of the work they had been called to do. Genesis, I realize that this pandemic, this season of frustration, this election season, and everything else that is going on around us right now can cause you or me to lose our vision for things to get a little foggy but we can't lose focus. We can't forget about our mission because here's what I believe that God wants to say to each of us today. I believe he wants to say, open your eyes. He says, open your eyes. Open your eyes to the opportunities, to the people that I've put around you who are in desperate need of a savior and they are waiting for someone just like you to come stepping into their life. Let's pray. We pray today that God, you would give us opportunities like Jesus had with this woman to share the good news with family members, people that we work with, uh, people that live around us, maybe just that person that by chance we're going to bump in today. God, would you open our eyes to see God, bring us joy and excitement to share our story and our faith with others. Lord, in every moment, Lord, open our eyes to see. Open our eyes to see what you have have done in us. You know, what you've accomplished in us through your son, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to see today for those that are weary right now, losing hope, struggling in fear. Open our eyes. For Genesis Church, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes. Help us not to lose focus. Push away the fog today, Lord, that we might see what you're up to and what you can and want to do with us, with your church. And to that someone today who's listening and wherever you're participating, listening in, watching from right now, if you find yourself thirsty this morning, I just want to say that maybe you're drinking from the wrong source. And I pray that God might use today to open your eyes to show you that he loves you and that there is nothing greater than that in all of this world. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And maybe that's a step that you're ready to take today. Uh, Wherever you are, we'd invite you to do that, to just respond to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I need you in my life. And then you got to tell somebody. And I encourage you to just share that with somebody today, whether you're online or here in person. We'd love to talk or pray with you about next steps in your relationship with the Lord. God, we thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Give us eyes to see and a passion to live for you in all that we do, beginning right now, continuing today in us and through your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.